Well, good morning, everyone, and again, welcome to worship here at Calvary, whether you're here in the worship center, all of you over in the chapel, all of you at our Minnetonka campus, and anyone else who's watching online, we're so, so glad that you are with us this morning. We're in the fourth week of a sermon series called Share, where we're talking about our mission as followers of Jesus. You know, following Jesus is an incredible adventure that we're invited into because of what Jesus did on the cross. But it's not just sitting back and, you know, kind of enjoying what we get. It's really about how we live it out on behalf of others. You know, right before Jesus ascended into heaven after he died and rose again, he gave his disciples, his followers, some marching orders. And so they were for his original disciples, but they were really for everyone who would follow him throughout history, which includes us. And he says, go and make disciples of every single nation. The mission is to go share the good news about what Jesus did with every person in the world. And those first disciples took it seriously and they expanded their influence and they shared the good news and more people came to faith each and every day until we fast forward to today and people all over the world are following Jesus. But the reality is there are so many more who don't know who he is or what he did for them. There are so many more that won't know that if they're not told by someone else. And so that's where we come in. But, you know, when we think about sharing our faith, a lot of us, we start to get a little fearful. We don't know what to say. We wonder, you know, like, do I have to memorize a sermon? Do I need a bunch of bullet points? And what if I get them out of order? You know, I'm just not sure what I would say or what I would do. So I'm just going to kind of keep it to myself. And so what this series is about is that there are some simple missional practices that we see in Jesus' life and ministry. And they're things that every single person here can learn to live out every day. And they're things that, that maybe it'll stretch us a little bit, but they're not impossible to do. And we can live them out in our workplace or at our school, in our neighborhood, or wherever else we might go in a given week. And so we've been using an acronym to help us remember these missional practices. And very conveniently, it spells out the word bless, because what we've been talking about is that we are called to bless the world. All right? It's no more complicated than that. We're called as followers of Jesus to bless the world. And from the very first pages of scripture, we see that God's preferred way of changing the world and also changing individuals' lives is through blessing them. And we also learn that the reason God blesses us is not so that we can accumulate more blessings or we can compare them to someone else or that we can stockpile all the blessings we can get. No, the reason that God blesses us is so that we can be a blessing to others. And so again, this is an acronym for these missional practices that Jesus teaches us. He models them for us. They're things that we can put into practice each and every day. So a review, the B stands for begin with prayer, which is really good advice for every part of life. We should be praying again and again all the time. But when it comes to blessing people, 
We need to begin with prayer. We could simply ask God each and every morning, God, how do you want me to bless the people I meet? I'm going to be going to these different places. I'm going to run errands. Maybe I'm going to my job. I'm going to go to a sporting event or wherever else I go. God, how do you want me to bless the people that I meet? But then on top of that, maybe there are some people in your life, some friends or some family or some neighbors that you know don't know Jesus. Some people that God puts on your heart consistently. Well, you can lift them up by name. What if every day you would make it a spiritual practice that you would pray for three different names, three people that you would love to see come to faith in Jesus? And so the first thing that we can all do is to begin with prayer. Then the L stands for listen with care. The key word there is listen. Way too often we have a lot we want to say, a lot of things that we want to share. But this is about starting by listening, simply hearing what's on people's hearts. It's not assuming that we know everything about someone else or what exactly they need. Instead, it's taking the time to invest into the relationship and to listen to what's truly going on in their life. You know, one uh, sociologist once said that there is barely any difference between someone being heard and someone being loved. We can't even really perceive the difference there. It's the feeling that we get when we're truly heard by someone that communicates love in such a powerful way. Well, then the E stands for eat together. Now, this is what we talked about last week, and many of you took this very, very seriously because you sent me pictures and texts about sitting out at a restaurant or at your home around a table, and it was awesome. It's something that we want to do more of. But what I want to remind you is this is not just about eating with your closest friends or even just with your small group. This is about expanding your circle. It's about expanding your influence. It's about eating together with the most unlikely people, the people who are left out, the people who are outcasts in society, and people who don't know Jesus. And so continue to eat with your friends, of course, more and more of that, but make sure that you're finding ways to include others around the table. So today, we're on to the first S in BLESS, and that stands for serve with love. We begin with prayer, we listen carefully what people have on their hearts, we build relationships and deepen those relationships around a table, and then when those needs come to the surface, when we find out what's going on in people's lives, then we know how we can specifically serve them with love. And I think this is a missional practice. It's an attitude that is so very clear in the life of Jesus, in his ministry and in his mission. But you know, we live in a culture today that is obsessed with upward mobility, People are looking for ways to be promoted. They're looking for ways to advance. They're looking for ways to move on up. You remember the Jefferson's theme song. Side note, I was very disheartened that none of our staff seemed to ever have heard of that TV show. It's just another indication that I am way too old in comparison to the rest of them. 
But you know, people today, they fear having to downgrade or downscale. They fear having to give up anything or lose anything or concede anything. And instead, we're focused on winning and advancing and moving higher. There always seems to be a ladder that we're trying to climb. And the higher you can climb up the ladder, the more status and notoriety and attention you can receive from the rest of the world. And it goes for pretty much every single part of life. Right? Think about how we approach housing often. I mean, you start out maybe in a small apartment with a roommate, but your dream is to move up to a starter home. But then that's not good enough, right? You want to move out to the suburbs with a bigger lot and a bigger house. But then we have our eyes on that dream house that maybe would be on the parade of homes and people could come and admire what we've achieved. Well, it goes for sports even. You know, the dream often is you you start on the bench and you work your way up to being a starter and then maybe you get recruited by a college and you get a scholarship and then you go play at college and if you're good enough, maybe you'll make the pros, but then maybe you'll you'll eventually win a championship and maybe you'll make the all-star game and eventually be inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's just this ongoing climb up the ladder. How about when it comes to our jobs and our careers? You want to get your foot in the door at first and you want to prove yourself and you want to be recognized for your talents and your skills and you want to be promoted and go up the ladder and eventually maybe you can become an executive and you could even have the corner office. We're so obsessed oftentimes with upward mobility And when we're climbing up the ladder, it means then we can look around and make sure everybody sees, look at what I was able to achieve. But you know, that desire for self-promotion and for advancement, it actually dates all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. In fact, that was their downfall. They weren't content to just live in relationship with God. They had this need to try to advance And in the process, they disobeyed God's design for the world. Well, Jesus came along and he turned this kind of thinking upside down. And really what he shows us is that it doesn't matter how high up the ladder you can go. Instead, what we should focus on as his followers is how far we can descend The aim of the followers of Jesus is not to just climb up. Instead, it's to climb down for the sake of other people. You see, really what Jesus says and what he teaches us is that we need to give up our obsession with upward mobility and live a downwardly mobile life. Paul explains this very well in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5. This is what he says to every one of us. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
So Paul begins by telling us something very challenging. Every one of us, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, it's a tall order, right? Because we love to celebrate stories of advancement and achievement and glory and victory, but Jesus' attitude was completely different. He descended down the ladder for the sake of the people that he loves. He went to the very lowest of places so that he could seek and save and serve lost people. And that's the kind of attitude that you and I are called to have. And in doing so, as Jesus lived this out, that is how he achieved true greatness. It's how he was ultimately exalted to the highest of heights. You see, really what Paul is telling us is the secret to becoming great in the eyes of God is not your title, it's not your bank account, it's not your portfolio. No, to be great in God's eyes is to follow the example and to adopt the mindset of Jesus himself. It means committing every single day to a life of downward mobility in order to serve others in his name. But you know, church, when we compare our descent to Jesus's, it's not even close, right? Look at verse 6. Paul says, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus started at the very top of the ladder, and he voluntarily descended all the way down. Jesus was equal with God in every single way. Now, what this means, church, is that Jesus didn't just appear out of nowhere in Bethlehem at Christmas. No, Jesus is equal with God in every single way, which means he was present for all of creation. It means that he is a part of God sustaining our entire universe. It means that he is all-powerful and all-knowing and has access to everything that is God's. And even though he was equal with God in every way, it says he didn't consider that something to be grasped, something to be held on to, something to cling to. It means Jesus was willing to let go. He was willing to give up all of his godly privileges and rights and perks for the sake of serving people. So stop for a moment and think about your own life. How hard is it for you to give up privileges and rights and perks? I mean, most of us would put up a fight before we would willingly give up what rightfully belongs to us, right? We, we have the attitude of, but that's mine. I deserve it. I earned it. I don't have to give it to anyone else. We tend to hold on very, very tightly. We cling to all of our privileges and our rights and our perks. But that wasn't Jesus' attitude. 
Jesus willingly loosened his grip on everything that went with being God. He said, I will let go if it means that I please my Father and I'm able to serve others in love. And so he was willing to let go of it all and to climb all the way down the ladder. You know, in our world, it's often whoever has the most money or power or prestige or whoever has the highest net worth that is declared the winner. But the economy of Jesus is the opposite. Those who are the highest and the greatest do not live for themselves. They live for others. There's a great story that comes at the end of Matthew chapter 20. It's when the mother of James and John comes to have a request for Jesus. And what you need to remember is that oftentimes we see these portraits of the disciples as very elderly men, but more than likely the disciples were actually teenagers. So here is James and John's mom coming to Jesus. And what does she ask? She says, Jesus, can you make sure that my sons have the very best seats in heaven? You can imagine James and John saying like, mom, you're embarrassing us. But you can also imagine a mom right, like this, right? Like she's basically asking, can my sons fly business class on every international flight for eternity, right? Can they have the very, very best seats in all of heaven? But you can also imagine how the other disciples felt. They're like, what jerks? Like, this is not good at all. Like we're angling for those good seats. And Jesus overhears the conversation. So he pulls them all aside. They have a little huddle. And this is what he says in verse 26 and 28. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you, what? Must be your servant, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's telling them and he's telling us, if you want to be truly great, well, you have to be a servant. Give up your obsession with upward mobility and instead live a life of downward mobility. It's a writer named Shane Claiborne, and he spent a summer many years ago in Calcutta serving alongside Mother Teresa. And he writes about this. He says, people often ask me what Mother Teresa was like. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark or had a halo. But she was short, wrinkled, and precious. Maybe even a little ornery, like a beautiful, wise granny. But there is one thing I will never, ever forget. Her feet. Her feet were deformed. That's a picture there. Each morning in mass, I would just stare at them. I wondered, did she contract leprosy at one point? But I wasn't going to ask, of course. Hey, mother, what's wrong with your feet? One day, a sister said to us, have you ever noticed her feet? And we nodded, curious. She said, her feet are deformed because we get just enough donated shoes for everyone at the mission. And mother does not want anyone to get stuck with the worst pair. So she digs through and finds them. 
And years upon years of doing that have deformed her feet. Years of loving her neighbor as herself actually deformed her feet. It's an amazing example of descending to serve others, of putting one's needs below others and putting them above yourself. You see, Jesus calls you and me to a similar life of downward mobility. Now, there are so many different gospel stories we could pick from that illustrate this, but there's one that I want to share with you today that gives us some practical steps that we can all focus on as we seek to serve others. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 7, starting with verse 31. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up or get out your Bible app on your phone. We're looking at Mark chapter 7, starting with verse 31. And it reads, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. Dave and John Ferguson help point out four key words that we can focus on as we serve others that we learn from this passage. And the first word to keep in mind is proximity. Jesus taught us to serve the people in proximity to us. The people Jesus served were always right in front of him. If you look back at verse 32, it says that this deaf man's friends brought him directly to Jesus. I think oftentimes when we think about truly serving Jesus, we think very grand and exciting and bold and big. We imagine a plane ticket or a passport going to some foreign country. We think about leaving our city and going to another city. But you know, for most of us, what God wants us to do is to pay closer attention to the people right in front of us. The people where you work, the people at your school, the people where you play or where you hang out, the people in your neighborhood, that's where we need to start when it comes to serving others. We need to train our eyes to be missional, to see the people in close proximity to us as we seek to serve them. Of course, there are exceptions to this, though. The very first verse, it says that Jesus went from one town to a new region. It was a, a pretty long distance. So why? Why did Jesus leave? Why was he called to go to a new place? Well, it's so that he could be in close proximity to the people that God wanted him to serve at this time. Now, some of you are where you are at, not 
because God sent you. You're where you are at because of work or because you got a bigger house or because of the school system or because of a promotion and all of those are good things. But maybe God didn't call you or send you where you are at. And maybe as you seek to follow Jesus, as you surrender more and more to him, as you listen to his guidance in your life, as he opens your heart to bless others, maybe he's going to send you to a new neighborhood or a new city or even a new country. But no matter what, God has either sent you to the people he wants you to serve or he will send you to the people he wants you to serve because we are called to serve the people who are in close proximity to us. Number two, we learn from Jesus to serve perceptively. If you look at verse 33, it says, Jesus took this man aside. Now, I don't know about you, but at least when I think back to when I was a kid, being taken aside wasn't usually a good thing. Right, like you ever have your parents like, okay, come over here and like get your act together or this is not gonna go well for you. But in this moment, we see Jesus' incredible heart and love and grace. You see, he takes this man aside, away from the crowd. Now, why would he do this? I mean, oftentimes Jesus healed people right out in front, right in the crowd. He wanted everyone to see. Well, it's because Jesus was serving perceptively. I mean, this man knew what it was like to be mocked and ridiculed and laughed at again and again. I mean, we all know kids can be cruel, but I mean, adults can even be worse, right? Every time this man just tried to string together a sentence, it would just be like a spotlight on his disability. And so Jesus taking him away from the crowd, taking him aside, shows that he truly understands this man's needs. He understands what he's going through, and he serves perceptively with careful grace. Many of you are probably familiar with the book by Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In it, he tells a story about being on the New York subway He was reading a book when a father came in with two young, very wild boys. And these children weren't just loud. They were totally out of control, jumping up and down, running up and down the subway car. And the father didn't seem that concerned that his children were misbehaving and bothering all of the passengers. So finally, Stephen couldn't handle it anymore, and he went up to the father and told him that he really needed to control his children, and he really should teach them to respect others. The father agreed, and he sadly said, yeah, I just don't know what to do. I really don't know what to say to them. We just came from the hospital, and their mother died. And Covey uses that story to remind us that we first need to seek to understand, to truly understand what people are going through. You know, God has put people in close proximity to you, at work, at play, in your neighborhood. But don't assume that you know their story. Don't assume that you know what they need. Make sure that you serve perceptively. And you know that feeling that you probably had at the end of Covey's story when you found out that these kids' mother had died? 
And something inside of us just hurts, doesn't it? I mean, it's our heart breaking for these kids. Well, you know, that's exactly what happens to Jesus in our story. Jesus goes way beyond just perceiving the man's pain, and instead he enters in to the man's pain personally. We're called to serve personally. It says that Jesus looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said, Ephatha. Now, this is not a sigh like we often think of. It's, it's not a tired sigh. It's not an annoyed sigh. This is a deep, deep emotional sort of groan. Like when you get tragic news about a close friend. Jesus is actually feeling deeply what this guy is going through. I mean, Jesus wasn't some emotionally disconnected faith healer, you know, just putting on a show for crowds. He was deeply, deeply affected by the suffering of the people he loved and the people he was serving. Christian missions writer Alan Hirsch says this, whoever we're called to serve, we need to feel their pain. Church, what that means is that serving others always needs to be personal. Then finally, after Jesus served those in close proximity, and he served them perceptively, and he served them personally, he also served them powerfully. The big event of the story is that Jesus looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue loosened, and he began to speak plainly. And what I want you to see here is that as Jesus served this man, he accessed God's power. But here's the amazing thing. You and I can do this as well. We too have access to God's power. You see, my hope for every one of you is that as you leave this place, that you would begin to have eyes to see the people in close proximity to you, and that you would be compelled to descend to serve them, but you would also remember that you have access to God's power. In John 14, 12, Jesus told his followers, I tell you the truth, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. When you're serving people, be bold. Ask God for miracles. Believe in the power of God. The person you are serving is sick, don't hesitate to ask God for his healing. If the person is struggling with an addiction, don't hesitate to ask God to bring them freedom. If they have a broken relationship, don't hesitate to ask God to bring redemption and restoration. I think there are two things that sometimes hold us back from asking for God's power and his miraculous intervention. Number one, we're not 100% sure that he's going to do it. But number two, we also don't know what we would say if it doesn't occur. 
And so what I want you to remember is that God promises to hear every word that you pray. And not only that, he is already at work. He's in the details, in every circumstance. And that God is working for good and he's working for healing in every situation. Now that healing might look different from case to case. Sometimes he heals physically. Sometimes he heals emotionally. Sometimes he heals relationally. And he's always working to heal spiritually. And the truth is that every one of us won't be truly and fully healed until that day that we enter into his presence. Remember, you have access to his power and that he promises you can do all and more that Jesus was able to do. Now, what I want you to see as we continue on through this series is how these different missional practices all work together. I mean, every day we can be lifting people up in prayer. We can be praying to be a blessing. And we can be listening to the people around us carefully. What's going on in their life? What do they need? And as we eat with people around a table, we can deepen our relationships. And all the while, when we hear those needs come to the surface, well, then we see how we can serve those people how we can be a blessing to what's going on in their lives. Now, how we serve people can be as vast and as creative as God has made us. Like maybe you just have a great connection that someone needs. You can hook them up with a relationship that could help them at work or another part of life. Maybe someone just needs a friend, someone to listen to them, and you can be that person. Maybe someone needs yard work or a warm meal or someone to come and help around the house. There's so many different ways that we can serve. But remember, we are the people that God has called to bless the world. And in doing so, we get a front row seat to God restoring and putting back together the brokenness of this world. So church, let's give up our obsession with upward mobility. And instead, let's live a downwardly mobile life, serving others. And you know, ultimately, when we live this out, we're gonna see more and more people find their way back to our loving God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks that you haven't invited us to an adventure where we get to be a part of your mission to reach the world with your love and grace. God, help us to see the people who are right in front of us, the people in close proximity to us that you have sent us to serve. And God, as we seek to serve people, help us to do so perceptively and help us to make it personal, to actually walk with people through those valleys. And God, help us to never forget that we have access to all of your power, that we are able to do all that you say we can do. And so God, help us to be people who aren't just obsessed with climbing the ladder. No, instead, help us to be people that live our lives like Jesus did, coming down the ladder, descending, 
for the sake of others. Help us to be people who serve others with your love. So God, I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together.